Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Ewan Morris. I'm a historian of science to Aberystwyth University. And as a historian, I spend most of my time researching Victorian scientific culture, broadly speaking. I'm particularly interested in the role of performance in, in the business of making science public. What we decided to do in a lot of ways was take an opportunity to see what it was like to do this, to actually play with the sorts of apparatus that Victorian scientific performers would have, would have played with. I'm Aileen Fife of the University of St Andrews and I'm a historian of science and technology. I'm particularly interested in the communication, the popularisation of science in the Victorian period. So we're here at the British Science Festival, which mainly is full of researchers standing up and telling us about their research, maybe with a few slides. But it's generally quite kind of straight science communication. This is quite different. What made you decide to get dressed up in Victorian costumes and try and create something a bit more dramatic. Well, we're all historians of science by training, so we wouldn't normally find ourselves at the Science Festival. But we wanted to find a way to engage people with the history of science and technology and to get people realising that the science and technology that we talk about so much in our modern-day world, it has a history. And it didn't always quite work out the way we expect it to work. We thought it might be more engaging if we dressed up in our 1898 costumes You've got to realise I'm wearing a hat, I'm wearing an amazing blouse with huge sleeves and a very big skirt. And we've got lots of stuff from the 1890s as well. And we tend to think that is more engaging. It gets people really excited about the stuff, the material culture. So it seems like for the Victorians, science was very much a form of entertainment. People went to science shows to be amazed. Do you think that's changed? There are a number of slogans that the Victorians have. Entertainment and edification, blending instruction and amusement. We don't usually see entertainment and edification in the same light, I think, in the way that the, that the Victorians did. But at the same time, I think that a lot of the practices and assumptions that are built into these sorts of popular performances, I mean, are still with us today. I mean, certainly when you look at modern you know, science TV, they still dwell on the, on the spectacular, the visual, things that are going to make the audience go, wow, and by and large, they succeed. So what kinds of things did the Victorians have that seemed amazing to them that we maybe don't think about so much today? I think it's worth remembering that the Victorians didn't have the same level of school education as we did, so many things seemed amazing to them that perhaps would seem less amazing to us now. We know that there were very large audiences at lectures by Humphrey Davy and Michael Faraday on chemistry. Some of the things we were doing earlier at the end of our show, making gases go bang, um, giving people laughing gas is absolutely hilarious, apparently, in front of an audience. These things, you've seen them in school science labs now, we were, many of these things we're fairly familiar with, but to the Victorians, they're new. You even get people attending botany and zoology lectures, which aren't so spectacular, but they're about things that have come from the far side of the world, new species from lands that we've never encountered before, bringing back skins or skeletons or shells. They don't quite have the same wow factor to us, but to the Victorians, this was new and exciting and proof of the rest of the empire that Britain is building. So you had with you some Victorian 
contraptions that you've been showing us during the show. And I think you've, you've got one here now that you can show me. What's this? This is an induction coil. This is basically a way of, as the Victorians would put it, producing relatively large quantities of electricity from a relatively small amount. So we have a battery here. Obviously, we're cheating. This is a six-volt motorbike battery, which isn't exactly what the Victorians would have been using, but they would have been using vats full of acid, and we didn't really want to carry those around. What the induction coil does, essentially, is increase the voltage of electricity that's being produced here from this little six-volt battery. You're producing a voltage here of several tens of thousands of volts. So you're getting a nice spectacular spark, and you can produce all sorts of spectacular effects. You can create nice lights, you can make things go bang. It's a machine for producing spectacular electrical effects. Can I have a go? You may indeed. So what do I need to do? It's all hooked up, so all you need to do is move this lever... Okay, so I could see we've got sort of two nails almost, they look like, positioned so that they're not quite touching. And they're connected up to the battery via the, uh, what I assume is the main coil. Mm-hmm. And when I moved the lever, there was what looked like blue lightning jumping from the end of one nail to the end of the other nail. It, it was quite impressive and it made a very good noise. I can see if you've never seen something like that before, it would seem almost magical. What did the Victorians think was going on here? The Victorians themselves often play with this kind of relationship between what they can achieve and the appearance of magic. I mean, it's very often a part of the kind of the rhetoric of science. You know, we can do for real what magicians and charlatans only, only claim to be able to do. By the end of the 19th century, the Victorians have a pretty good grip on how this, this kind of apparatus works. Their, their account of how it works would be rather different from ours. And at the heart of late 19th century physics is this notion of the, of the ether, this kind of universal medium that that fills all of space and is the medium through which energy, in this instance electromagnetic energy, travels in the form of waves. So the way that they would describe the operation of an induction coil would be in terms of the operation of the electromagnetic ether. Whereas now, of course, physicists don't believe in an ether, although with the discovery of the Higgs field, perhaps we're coming back round to that idea. Well, yes, I often muse as a historian of you know, 19th century scientific culture. Having been brought up throughout the 20th century, oh, no, no, there's no such thing as an ether, there's nonsense, there is, there is a big mistake. It's now starting to look as if modern physics is coming up with something that, that sounds suspiciously like an ether once more. So maybe, maybe the 20th century will turn out to have been the aberration in that respect. <laughs> 